Hello, everyone. It's Joanna, and welcome to Sam Magazine. everyone doing? How is everybody? I feel like a big white blanket has been dropped over North America. I know everybody thinks in Canada it's really cold uh, and most of this country is really cold in the winter. But where I live, so if you go from California and I don't want to say go up, but if you go north, through Washington State, across the border, um, past Bellingham, uh, just just going north. I'm on that side of Canada, so the the western side, and we have pretty mild weather. Well, yesterday, our weather reporters uh, on the news they warned us actually on Wednesday. Wednesday, I have my days mixed up here. That uh, we were supposed to get two to five centimeters of snow. So 2.5 centimeters is an inch. So an inch to two inches of snow. This is what they're saying. Well, excuse me, we got five inches and I know in other places they got much more snow. I know I probably shouldn't complain because I've been watching the news. I've been seeing what's happened in my own country. Alberta, Ontario, Saskatchewan, going to like minus 20 degrees with the wind chill. Um, It's just where I live, we're not used to this. We're not used to minus 10 degrees with the wind chill factor. And then I see what's happening in the U.S. and all the snow that's happening down there. So I hope everybody is staying warm Um, and, and don't go out if you have to. I was snow shoveling this morning a little bit, and of course, I saw I saw a spot of ice, and I told myself, don't step on that ice. And of course, I got carried away with my shoveling, and I stepped on that ice, and my feet went out from underneath me, and I landed on my side. I'm okay. So, you know, <laughs> everybody take care of yourselves, and just... Don't go out if you don't have to. All right. Now, I've been working on Spy Girls. I've been contacting book reviewers. I've been contacting bloggers. And March 16, that book is out as an ebook and as a print book. And you can order copies ahead of time. I'm also, I found out today, I'm doing a book signing in Nanaimo, in the Woodgrove chapters. 
on March 16th. And I'm, ah, I am just so happy. So happy. It's, it's coming together. All right. Now, before I get into our short story, it is coming. I have to say a hello and a hi to those listeners. Okay, we're going to start with Europe. Hello, Germany. I hope you're doing all right. In my own country. Hello, British Columbia. I see you. I see you listening. Hello, Ontario. Thank you so much for tuning in and please stay safe. I know I sound like a wimp complaining about minus 10 degrees. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. All right, Mexico. Yeah, nice sunny Mexico. Hello down there. In the U.S., South Carolina, California, Connecticut, North Carolina, Ohio, Texas, Virginia. Thank you so much for for listening in. I hope you're enjoying the short stories. I'm having a blast reading them. And uh, let's start today's short story. So for listeners, today's author, you've listened to her story before. It is C.J. Papoutsis. I just read a short story from her a couple of podcasts ago. She wrote the story, Mother Always Kept a Gun. Okay, so that's Mother Always Kept a Gun, written by C.J. Papoutsis. That was episode 168. I'm reading another one of her short stories, and this one is called Murder at the Acropolis. So you got your coffee, you got your hot chocolate. If you're walking, let's go. Acropolis Suvlaki isn't what you'd call a family restaurant unless you've got something serious against your family. We're on Smith Street below government. Nobody comes down here except to hire a hooker buy drugs, or bet on the horses. I'm Nick Demacus, the bookie, and I'm cursed. I was born in Greece on Tuesday, the 13th of October, 1936. That's like Friday the 13th here, only worse. I grew up thinking World War II was my fault, especially the Battle of Olympus, where my father got killed. By my fifth birthday, I was responsible for the German occupation and the Greek Civil War that lasted until 1949. When I was 13, my mother didn't wake up one morning, also my fault. So I hit the streets and survived by my wits. We do what we gotta do. Early last February, Basilios Sedaris my personal crown of thorns, came into the cafe as I was locking up. He already owed me big money and wanted another hundred to play cards. No more till you pay up, I told him. Get out of my face and stay the hell away from my restaurant. You call this dump a restaurant? Sedaris stood way too close. He smelled like he'd slept in a whiskey barrel. He shoved me. You better front me the money or I'll tell everyone you kidnapped my wife and killed my kid. 
I shoved him back. I never kidnapped Margarita, and as for your kid, I glanced at Dennis, my runner putting away plates. Margarita and me had been childhood sweethearts, but we were never meant to live happily ever after. While I was in the army, Margarita's parents married her off to Sedaris. Her family got one less mouth to feed and Sedaris got free help for his family store. In 56, when I got home from the army, I saw her unloading potatoes from a truck. She had a black eye and was pregnant. With fake passports and 50 US dollars between us, we left for Canada. I worked my way across the country while I learned English. We ended up here in Victoria. Sedaris pulled a knife. You're gonna die, Demacus. I might have too, if Dennis hadn't grabbed his knife. Fueled by booze and rage, Sedaris swung his fist and drilled me in the gut. I dropped to my knees. Dennis nailed him with a one-two punch to his belly and an uppercut to his chin. Sedaris folded like a wet envelope. Dennis planted his foot on Sedaris's chest and moved the blade across his throat, barely touching the skin. You better crawl back to the sewer or I'll cut you up like a jigsaw puzzle. He snapped the knife closed, then stood back and slipped it into his pocket. Sedaris groaned and struggled to his feet. He spat at me and stumbled out the door, swearing in Greek. Dennis pulled me up. Still out of breath, I reeled across the room and fell into a booth. I'm getting too old for this stuff. I keep a bottle of Glenfiddich for emergencies and special occasions. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference around here. Dennis poured me a shot and slid it across the table. Better watch out, boss. One of you's gonna get killed. It's hard to surprise a guy dragging a Greek curse through life, but I nearly came unglued two mornings later. Dennis was working behind the counter, mopping the floor by the grill. I opened the back door for some fresh air and found Sedaris's body in the alley. Most of the time, the cops ignore my bookie business. I give them free coffee and they don't bust me. But there was no way I could get a dead body past him. It'd be like Christmas for Sergeant Branson. He's a pillar of Gamblers Anonymous and he hates me. I stared at Vasilio Sedaris, his face covered in blood. Somebody hated him more than I did. Son of a bitch. Now what was I going to do? Mervyn Lagar, one of our regulars, wandered in early and sat at the counter, slumped over a mug of last night's coffee. He was nursing a hangover and didn't seem to notice Sedaris. Or maybe he just didn't care. Hard to tell with Mervyn. Dennis's gravelly voice snapped me back to reality. You better call the cops, boss. He leaned his mop against the coke machine and fiddled with his cell phone I'd give it him so we could keep in touch when he ran money back and forth to the track. No, I'll call George, I told him. He'll know what to do. Do you think? 
Dennis asked. He's never found a body outside his restaurant. How do you know? George had been like a big brother to me. He helped me survive on my own in Athens after my mother died. And, like the rest of us who grew up on the streets in wartime, his morals are flexible. He's got an upscale pool hall in the business district now. It's nearly time to open, I told Dennis. We better do something with Sedaris. Quick. We're not supposed to move him, boss. I saw it on TV. Gotta leave him there till the cops come. What cops? I don't want cops. They'll pin it on me. What's Angela gonna say about our old man doing life for murder? Angela's my daughter. She's got a degree in archaeology. I sent her to Greece to discover Atlantis and get over her crush on Dennis. She's 26 and should be married by now. But she's, well, let's just say she spends too much time with old pots and bones. Dennis switched the cell phone to his other hand and looked at me sideways. You didn't kill him, boss. That's right. I didn't. I grabbed a tray of dirty mugs from last night. Dennis is lucky. He sees everything as good or bad, black or white, right or wrong. No gray areas to mix them up. My whole life is a gray area. I dropped the tray of mugs into the sink, ran the hot water, and hit them with a bleach chaser. Gotta humor the health people. George would have helped me get rid of Sedaris's body, but I didn't want to tangle up anyone else in this. It'd have to be the cops. I walked over to the open door and looked at the body. Even though he was dead, Sedaris was still trying to nail me. Go ahead, I told Dennis. Call the cops. But remember, we don't know him. Got it, boss. He smiled and punched a two-digit number into his phone. Who else has the cops on speed dial? Cops on the way, he announced a few minutes later, slipping the phone back into his pocket. Dennis has worked for me for ten years. Einstein he ain't, but he's dependable, and at six foot three and two hundred and thirty pounds, he's got presence, and that's important. A runner carries a lot of cash, and things can go sideways. Angela says Dennis is a hunk and way smarter than I give him credit for. She's got lousy taste in men. What she needs is a good Greek husband. I nuked myself a coffee and parked beside Marvin at the counter. He wasn't much of a talker, so I just drank my coffee and let the memories run past like a bad movie. I didn't care that Margarita was pregnant with Sedaris's baby when we left Greece. I loved her and would have loved her baby, but she lost it right after we got here and couldn't have any more kids. She believed the baby's death was God's punishment for leaving Sedaris. Four years later, my friend George came to Canada with his wife and two daughters. I gave him a job at my restaurant, and to show his appreciation, he got us an authentic-looking marriage certificate from Holy Trinity Church in Athens. He knew people and places where that kind of stuff gets printed, 
stamped and filed. You think life got better? No friggin' way. Not with the Greek curse hanging over me. Sedaris blew into town with a gambling habit he'd picked up while doing time in Greece for beating up a hooker. He said if I didn't cover his gambling debts, he'd divorce Margarita. Freedom at last, you're thinking. No way. Margarita was ashamed that we weren't married in the eyes of God and said she'd die of humiliation if our secret got out. Sedaris threatened me again, so I hired some thugs George knew to sideline him. After he got out of the hospital, he moved to Vancouver. I took a deep breath and pushed myself up from the counter. Mervyn stumbled to his feet and lit a cigarette. Things don't look good around here. He waved a bony hand and ambled out in a cloud of Du Maurier smoke. Sedaris's body lying in the doorway gave me the creeps. Close the back door, Dennis. I don't like the view out there. Dennis looked up as he wiped the counter. Can't. I just told you. It's a crime scene and everything's got to stay like it was. I threw a newspaper, the finance section, over Sedaris's face. No point messing up the sports page. My customers would want to read that. I almost wish I had killed the slimy son of a bitch. Yeah, but you didn't, boss. You just found him. Dennis went back to the sink, squeezed the water out of his gray dishcloth, and finished wiping the counter. I find lots of things. Doesn't mean I know where they come from or how they got here. Give me a coffee and put a shot in it. Sure. Dennis plodded over to the coffee machine. Pour one for yourself while you're at it. The leftover coffee looked like tar. Dennis nuked it, then eyeballed a good shot straight from the Glen Fittich bottle into each mug. The bleach fumes from the sink mingled with the burned coffee and scotch. I don't usually drink in the morning, but this wasn't a usual morning. Dennis slid a mug across the counter to me, coffee spilling over the rim. He downed his without a twitch. I swallowed mine and shivered. More from memories than the taste. In 79, George and his wife had twins, a boy and a girl. They knew how badly Margarita and I wanted a baby, so they let us adopt the girl. We called her Angela after my mother. Margarita and I were the boy's godparents, and George and his wife were Angela's. Margarita was happy, believing God would finally approve this part of our life. Not long after the baptism, our house caught fire. I woke Margarita, grabbed Angela, and we ran outside. I saw who was driving the blue Chevy that screamed around the corner, but illegal immigrants with fake passports don't want attention from the cops. After the fire, Margarita got sick. The doctor sent her for tests. She had cancer. Margarita believed it was punishment for breaking the seventh commandment. She died, convinced she was going to hell leaving me to raise three-year-old Angela by myself. My life was crap after Margarita died, and I never told Angela she was adopted. 
Sedaris was at Margarita's funeral. He stood by himself in a long black overcoat at the back of the church. At the cemetery, he tossed a single red rose onto her coffin. I'd have killed him right there if it hadn't been for George. He held me back and told me to think about Angela. Her mother was dead. She didn't need her father in the slammer. Screaming sirens brought me back to the present. I hurried to the door where the closed sign hung crooked. The sirens grew louder, then stopped. I opened the door and an army of cops crowded in. Your food finally killed somebody, eh, Demachus? said Sergeant Ron Branson, the cop who had it in for me. His tongue darted in and out between his thin lips like a snake. The coroner's van pulled up seconds later. A guy in a blue jacket with coroner printed across his back and big yellow letters unfolded a trolley and wheeled it in. Imagine having to wear that jacket all day. Talk about a curse. Sergeant Branson stuck yellow crime scene tape across the door, as if the closed sign and the coroner's van weren't enough. Not exactly good advertising. I pointed to the back door. Out there. Branson lifted the newspaper off Sedaris's face. Was he reading the finance section when you found him? I covered his face, out of respect. I bet. You found him when you opened? Right. It took you a while to call it in. He watched me without blinking. Yeah, well, I was in shock. You don't find a dead guy outside your back door every day. Plain clothes, cops, and uniforms. Lots of them. Searched everywhere. They made me and Dennis sit on opposite sides of the room. Sergeant Branson sat with me, scribbling in his notebook, while an older guy questioned Dennis. Another cop took pictures of Sedaris, the restaurant, and the alley. Branson described Sedaris as a white male Caucasian in his early 60s, blue shirt, gray pants, no ID, with blunt trauma injuries to the head. No weapon had been found. I told them he might have been in a few times but I didn't know his name. Branson snapped his notebook shut and shoved it into his pocket. Looks like he might be Greek. Don't you think, Demachus? Looks like he might be dead, was all I said. If I admitted knowing Sedaris, my whole life would unravel like a cheap sweater. Sergeant Branson grinned his snaky smile. I knew he was going to do everything he could to stick me with Sedaris's murder. A dozen or more people stood outside, noses pressed to the windows, as the coroner guys zipped Sedaris into a body bag and hoisted him onto the trolley. The crowd stood back. Older men removed their hats and several crossed themselves as Sedaris was wheeled through the front door to the van. The police took down the crime scene tape Sergeant Branson warned me not to leave town because I was considered a person of interest in the case. He'd be in touch. I wiped nose prints off the glass, turned the clothes sign around open, and in minutes, the place was packed. 
George rushed in and pushed a Starbucks takeout cup into my hand. Are you okay? One of the boys said you had a murder in here. What do you mean, okay? I looked around to make sure nobody was listening, dropped my voice to a whisper, and filled him in about Sedaris. The coroner's been parked out front, and the place was crawling with cops. George steered me towards the storeroom. Somebody finally iced Sedaris, I said. His eyebrows lifted damn near two inches. How lucky can you get? He rubbed his hands together. I took a slug of the coffee he'd given me, hot and strong, the way I like it. I told the cops I didn't know him. You lied to the cops? George smiled, a lopsided grin left over from when some goon broke his jaw. Then he slapped me on the back like a proud father. We do what we gotta do, Nick. I threw the empty cup in the trash. People have seen him in here, and I might not have been too nice to him. Don't worry, George said as we walked towards the front door. Who's going to believe your customers? They're the lyingest bastards I ever met. The cops didn't find any ID on his body. Maybe they'll write him off as a John Doe. Stranger things have happened. He chuckled, hit me on the back again, and headed out the door. Let me know if I can help. He would, too. I wondered what would happen next. One thing I'd learned from being cursed was that bad things always come in threes, or, in my case, multiples of threes. Hey, boss, this is our busiest day ever. Dennis looked over, pleased with himself, enjoying the crowd in the restaurant. He joked with customers as he turned skewers of chicken and pork on the grill. I got behind the counter and helped him serve coffee and souvlaki. The crowd didn't thin down till after five, but word gets around. Gamblers don't come around or call in bets when the neighborhood's thick with cops. We sold out of souvlaki, but my private line didn't ring all day. I don't make my money on souvlaki and coffee. Sergeant Branson came back the next afternoon, grinning like a rattler. I sat across from him in a booth near the back. He pulled out his damn notebook. Seems you haven't been completely honest with us, Demachus. Been doing some research. Your dead friend's name is Vasilio Sideris. He's a Greek citizen residing in Canada illegally. Lived in a rooming house in James Bay. He ain't no friend of mine. We found one of your Acropolis Souvlaki matchbooks in his room. Lots of people got them. Branson cleared his throat. Yeah, but only one of them was found beaten to death in the alley behind your restaurant. I didn't say anything. We talked to one of his drinking buddies at the rooming house. Sedaris told him you'd threatened him. The guy said he'd testify in court. So what? I asked. So we have reasonable and probable grounds to arrest you for murder. Branson waited while that sunk in. You can come to the station voluntarily for questioning, or I can arrest you here and now. Your choice. 
I stood up and looked at him across the table. Sweat soaked through my shirt. I headed for the storeroom. Branson stood up. Okay, Demachus. He cleared his throat again. I'm arresting you for the murder of Vasilio Sedaris on or about March 15th. Yada, yada, yada. I untied my apron and hung it on a hook without listening to the rest. Branson was right on my heels. You've got to hear the whole thing, Demachus. It's in the charter. It's my duty to inform you that you have the right to retain and instruct counsel without delay. He droned through the charter warning and ended with, You are not obliged to say anything, but anything you do say may be given in evidence. It didn't take a Greek philosopher to see where this was going. I'm going to call Con. Constantine? Constantindidius? Your lawyer? Feeling guilty, Demachus? We've got a nice phone book at the station you can use. He grabbed my arm. I pulled away. Branson snapped the cuffs off his belt and twisted my arm behind me. Are you resisting arrest? His snake lips barely moved. I took a deep breath. Hell no. I'm just getting my coat. Good. I'd hate to take you out of here in cuffs with all your clients watching. He spun the bracelets around and clipped them back on his belt. I put on my coat. Take care of things here, I shouted to Dennis over at the grill. I'll be back in a couple of hours. Dennis smiled and waved a skewer of chicken at me. The police station was always the same. Dull gray concrete walls, green linoleum, and garbage bins overflowing with styrofoam cups. I'd been busted before. Business-related, minor stuff, and I bailed out a few of the boys. I phoned Kong, and before long, he showed up with his battered briefcase, looking rumpled and bored like usual. Branson and a young woman officer questioned me for an hour about the same stuff I'd told them before. I gave them the same answers. Con had called George, who bailed me out. I signed a form promising to appear as and when required and abide by my release conditions. Two hours later, I was back at the restaurant. The first week of May, Angela called from Greece. She said the dig was closing for the summer and she was coming home. I convinced her to take a long holiday in Rhodes with her friends and come home for Christmas instead. I didn't want her back here till the trial was over. Then I'd get busy and find her a husband. My trial was set for August 20th, and for the next while, I kept out of trouble. No more bodies turned up outside my restaurant, but with Sergeant Branson coming in every day for free coffee, my bookie business was in the toilet. To keep things going, Dennis and I learned to cook. By New Year's, we had a regular lunch crowd and people asking about dinner. We stuck with Greek standbys, moussaka, pasticcio, and chicken kapama, and kept the old faithful, souvlaki. Bookies get a bum rap. A lot of them deserve it, but not me. I cook my regulars free breakfasts every Sunday morning. I like to know they get a decent meal once in a while. George calls it my Christian kindness, 
but I quit God when Margarita died. It's just good business. George put out feelers to see if the boys knew anything. With their mouths full of French toast and scrambled eggs, nobody said a thing. One hand washes the other. As my trial date got closer, I got antsy. It was going to be rough if they dragged up my past. Con called me in at the end of June and told me how to play it. Keep it short and sweet. No salsa. Just answer the questions, he warned. Don't tell them Sedaris was married to Margarita or that he set fire to your house. No need to mention George's friends in vital statistics. You don't have to lie if they don't ask. The day of my trial, I had cotton mouth and my gut ached something fierce. They called Mickey Houlihan as the first witness. I'd paid for his new front teeth after a loan shark kicked his down his throat. He told the court I'd never pressured him to pay his gambling debts, and he never heard me say an angry word to anybody. He said he'd never seen Sedaris in my place. One good turn deserves another. Percurialis Fingers Phenopolis was next. I never knew his name was Percurialis. We always called him Fingers because he played the piano in a bar down the street. His daughter looked like a rabbit, so I wrote her orthodontist a few checks. Fingers heard me arguing with Sedaris two nights before the murder, but had no memory of it when questioned by Crown Counsel. Said he had a few beers and the whole night was a blur. Mervyn Laguerre ambled up to the witness stand and took the oath. I took care of the electrolysis bill for his wife's mustache. He swore on the Bible. It might as well have been a phone book. Mervyn said he'd seen Sedaris in the restaurant a few times, but he'd never heard me say anything more to him than good morning or what'll you have. Dennis was called last. He'd shaved and slicked back his curly hair. He wore a dark suit, blue shirt, navy tie, and real shoes, not sneakers. When Crown Counsel asked about Sedaris, Dennis looked vague. After a few seconds, he said he might have seen Sedaris once or twice, but he wasn't a regular, so he never paid much attention. Dennis said he'd worked 10 years for me, and I was the most even-tempered guy he'd ever met. He'd seen me give money to the poor and explained about my Sunday breakfasts for the boys. I could almost hear choir music in the courtroom when he was done. Sergeant Branson looked like he'd eaten bad pork. The guy from Sedaris's rooming house never showed up. So much for witnesses. No new information had turned up on Sedaris. After a long day, the judge ordered a stay of proceedings and threw the case out. He said I was free to go. He didn't say I was innocent. The cops just couldn't prove I did it. But that's okay. A guy dragging a Greek curse everywhere he goes can't be picky about details. That night, we had a party at the restaurant to celebrate my victory. George and his wife, Mickey Houlihan, Fingers Phenopolis, and Mervyn Laguerre were all there to congratulate me. I supplied free drinks and souvlaki, and everybody went home happy. After Dennis and I cleaned up, 
he came over to the counter, holding his backpack in front of him like it might explode. Boss, we gotta talk. I reached for the Glen Fittich. When somebody looks at me like that and says, we gotta talk, I know we're gonna need scotch. I poured two doubles, no ice, pushed one across to Dennis. Okay then, but first, a toast to better times ahead. We clinked glasses. I downed mine in one gulp, put the glass down, and looked Dennis in the eye. So what do you want to talk about? Dennis pushed his glass to one side, looked down at his backpack, slowly undid the zipper, and reached in. He handed me a thin brown wallet and a small blue book. A passport. I opened the wallet and then the passport. Holy crap. Where'd you get these? His voice dropped to a hoarse whisper. I killed him, boss. His eyes shifted from right to left. Sedaris. I forgot my hat that night, and when I came back for it, he was in the alley trying to jimmy the door. I yelled at him to go away, and he said if I didn't let him in, He'd make so much noise, everyone would come running. He'd say how you kidnapped his wife, killed his kid, and stole his money. Dennis stopped to catch his breath. I couldn't let him do that. So you invited him in? Sweat broke out on Dennis's forehead. No! I opened the door just a crack, and he forced his way in. I moved his scotch closer to his hand. Okay. Then what happened? Sidera started mean-mouthing you and called me a big, dumb gopher. That pissed me off. He made me open the cash drawer. He reached over and scooped the $50 float. Dennis took a gulp of scotch. As he turned to go, I grabbed the hammer we keep under the counter and knocked him out. I dragged him into the alley, but he came to and started fighting. So I hit him a couple more times and kind of, well, killed him. I poured myself another shot and tossed it back. Then you took his passport and wallet. Dennis finished his drink. I poured him another. I had to, boss. So it looked like he'd been robbed. He had no money on him. I put the 50 bucks back in the cash drawer. Good. I like an honest employee. Then what? I scrubbed the blood and prints off the hammer and put it back under the counter. The perfect crime. I couldn't believe it. He'd been sitting on this for so long. Why the hell did you keep the passport and the wallet? Didn't know what to do. I saw on TV it's a federal offense to destroy a passport. You saw what? I stared at him. Wait a minute. You beat a guy to death with a hammer but you're worried it might be illegal to destroy his passport. Dennis stood up straight. I've got principles, boss. I picked up my glass and put it back down. You do, hey? I almost landed in the joint thanks to your goddamn principles. Sorry about that. I took a deep breath. I'd have never figured Dennis for a criminal mastermind. There's a lot to be said for street smarts. He'd gotten away with murder. Maybe Angela was right. 
I stuffed the passport and wallet in my shirt pocket. Passports being expired for years. Europe's got red ones now. What do you think about that? Dennis shrugged, took off his apron and hung it up. I heard you and George talking lots of times. I know Angela's adopted. I know Margarita was Sedaris's wife and that he burned your house. He drained his glass. Sedaris never would have left you alone. He'd have kept pushing till you killed him. I stood up and put our glasses in the sink. But you saved me the trouble. Yeah. Dennis pulled on his jacket. So what happens now? I did up my coat. We walked to the door and I unlocked it. It's a done deal. Sedaris is dead. The world's a better place. Why do you say we just keep it to ourselves? I'll drive you home. We looked both ways as we stepped outside. The weather was cold for August. The hookers strutted their stuff on Smith Street. Boss? What, you haven't offed anybody else, have you? No. What do you do with the passport and wallet? It's kind of cool tonight. I'll go home and light a fire. Good idea. I locked up the restaurant and we walked to my car. Did you say Angela's coming home for Christmas? Yeah. I slid into my seat. Dennis opened the passenger door and got in. I kind of wondered if she'd go out with me. She's great. You'll have to ask her old man. I started the car. Dennis swallowed and looked me in the eye. Can I ask her out, boss? She could do worse. Now shut the damn door. The end. I hope you enjoyed that story, Murder at the Acropolis by C.J. Papoutsis. Uh, CJ is in the January issue of Sam Magazine. That's where you can find this story and read it yourself. And that issue is coming out January 14th, two days from now. And I, I'm really excited. It's looking good. It's looking really good. Um, so if you want the magazine, you can go to the Sam, so that's S-A-M, little hyphen, magazine, Dot com, and you can just get the PDF download if you want. And I'm going, when the snow goes away, I'm getting print issues done. All right, people, that's it for today. Um, stay safe, stay warm, and I will catch you next weekend for another short story. Or maybe I think it might even be a couple of chapters, like a first chapter excerpt. And remember, the young husband leak in tune with Spy Girls just may be slipping across the airwaves, if you call these airwaves, may be slipping across the podcast in the next week or two. Okay, take care. Bye-bye.